there are so many people that have come up to me at conferences, you know, over the years and been like, I was about to give up on PHP or maybe even just programming in general, but Laravel sort of kept me in it and sort of reinvigorated my career or even given me a career. You know, um, I, I have people come up to me and say, you know, I used to uh, be in sales or I used to do this. And now I learned Laravel from Laracast and I have a full-time job as a programmer. So it's been a really crazy ride, honestly, and a pretty uh, rewarding experience building the whole thing. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in. I have a really special episode lined up for you today. The guest is Taylor Otwell, the creator of Laravel. And for those of you that follow me, you probably know that I'm the CEO of Curotech, a software development services company. And Laravel is our framework of choice for backend development. We highly specialize in, in the technology, and it's really exciting for me today to have Taylor on for that reason. Uh, Taylor's totally overhauled the PHP ecosystem, and he's quite a personality in the space. Uh, we get into all sorts of topics today. We talk about the origin stories of Laravel. We talk about uh, PHP and, and how the community's evolved over the last decade or so. We also get into going all the way back to the 70s and 80s, some of the early founders like Richard Stallman of the open source and free software movement and how they paved the way for open source technologies like Laravel in, in the modern era. So stay tuned. Listen to the whole episode. We get into a lot of those really interesting topics in the second half. So Stick with it and listen all the way through, and I hope you enjoy. So I think, you know, if we're going to dive right in, which is how I tend to do these things, uh, I think AI is probably where where the listeners want to really, you know, kind of talk about here. Uh, you know, it's came on, you know, obviously this like AI, ML stuff, like developers have been working on it for a decade now, you know, Google with, uh, you know, TensorFlow, uh, you know, and then there's, you know, a lot of these other LLMs that are being built uh alongside tensorflow but uh you know there's a, a huge media push like with chat gpt and, and open ai releasing these consumer level products over the last six to, to 12 months it's uh really getting just a ton of user adoption a ton of media play and i think a lot of developers are starting to wonder like all right so what does this mean like are we going to 10x ourselves or is there going to be like a commoditization of developer jobs are frameworks going to be implementing ai at the framework level i would love to just kind of riff on that with you what have you been seeing like for laravel in particular i'm curious like what's the kind of like vision for how this might play into the laravel framework some of the early exploration that i've seen in the laravel community um revolves around like debugging like i know um Marcel at um, Beyond Code and Frake at Spotsy have sort of experimented with AI-powered debugging in Laravel so that, you know, if you get an exception message in your application, um, AI can offer like intelligent solutions to that exception message um, in various ways. So improving the, the sort of debugging workflow. Um, I've also seen people experiment with like, AI powered database querying. I'm not sure if that's quite as robust or like fast enough for actual real world usage at this point. Um, but it's certainly an interesting thing to just be able to type in sort of a fluent English sentence query into a text box in like an admin panel and get uh, some results back. So that's, that's another way I've seen people kind of kicking the tires on AI. 
And then, of course, I mean, lots of Laravel developers are already sort of using AI if you're using uh, GitHub Copilot and things like that. So that, that's some of the early stuff I've seen. Um, I've also, you know, seen people experimenting with um, sort of project scaffolding based on AI. So I'm building this type of Laravel project. Maybe it's an invoicing app and generating the sort of right kinds of models and migrations and controllers um, that type of application might have. That's kind of what I was thinking about it when I was brainstorming. Like, imagine if there's something like a chat GPT interface version of Artisan where you're kind of like telling it, all right, this is the project. These are the entities. These are the relationships between the entities. And then, you know, maybe it like starts with writing test cases or starts with kind of like the scaffolding of the project and then runs the project. I don't, I don't know. Like, it, maybe it's not necessarily... Mm -hmm you know, maybe like the AI part isn't baked right into the framework, but maybe it's like baked into the tools, like the command line interfaces or the the kind of tools around the framework that makes the framework, uh, you know, uh, easy to work with. Uh, that, that was kind of my initial thought. And you, you brought it up when you right. mentioned kind of like the bug squashing piece of it. Uh, I wonder mm -hmm. if there's a way that you could, you know, somebody could build a, uh, uh, you know, like a, a AI that just, parses your code and understands it and then writes your test cases for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would just kind of know like what the, what the possible weird exceptions could be. Yeah. I, th I think that would be interesting. And, you know, I've seen people experimenting with um, AI and tests and I've wondered myself, like there's lots of wrong ways to get a test to pass, you know, like um, if I, if I want to verify, like when a user deletes their account and I want to verify that the user is not in the database anymore, like, one way to make that test pass is just to delete the entire user's table. But that's really the wrong way to make it pass. You know, it's not actually the correct behavior for the system. So, um, you know, as long as the AI, like I think as the AI gets smarter and actually understands the application, um, because like sometimes AI will give you like confidently wrong answers at this point, like chat GPT. Um, so you kind of have to like go back and double check it. Um, but, you know, we'll see how that evolves, you know, over the coming years. There's like the famous, uh, it's like the famous uh, example for AI of how AI can go wrong. I think this is maybe like a decade old uh, example, but it's the paperclip, paperclip example. I think a lot of people know it where, you know, somewhere in the future, there's all this AI and, and uh, a paperclip manufacturer or CEO goes to, you know, AI and says, hey, we need to produce more produce and sell more paper clips go figure out how to produce and sell more paper clips and then you know i'll probably botch this but like many permutations in all of a sudden the ai is like melting down cars and buildings and yeah you know <laughs> now we've got like more paper clips than we're ever going to use in in humanity uh, right. which is to your point like you know if, if you ask ai to go pass a test case it might you know, technically pass the test case by deleting the entire user's table that might be one way to just get the quickest you know, result of the test, you know, passing that, that individual test. Yeah. It's funny how, like, you know, you have to really think about like the prompts you give and mm -hmm. what possible like side effects that could have from it. Uh, right. but the, yeah. uh, yeah, the, the, the test case thing, you know, kind of like an AI powered artisan tool. Uh, mm -hmm. that was like the first thing that, that I would think of that comes to my head. 
for for this yeah. uh, you know implementation of AI in the framework. Uh, what what do you? I know I've I've seen uh, a lot of developers, especially new developers that are kind of new to the profession, get really nervous about AI. Like, is it going to replace my job? Am I you know is this industry going to change? You know, fast. I'm, I just showed up in the industry and it's like already you know, being flipped upside down, I, you know, really seasoned developers that have been around for a decade or two don't seem to have that fear. Yeah. But what would you say to these early stage, you know, like developers that might be one or two years into their career? What would you say to them about this? Um, I myself, I mean, as you said, I think a lot of developers that have been around a while don't necessarily have this fear. And I can't say that I totally have that fear because I sort of view all these things as like, just an augmentation, you know, to the, to the developer. Um, so, I mean, like say in the same way, like a calculator, like, you know, greatly augmented our ability to quickly do math. <laughs> um, I think chat GPT is sort of the same kind of thing. Like um, it solves a certain class of problems so well that you would like never do them by hand anymore. Like, um, you know, just writing a few paragraphs or writing an email in a certain way or about a certain topic or even writing a blog post, um or looking up certain kinds of information it makes you so much more productive in those scenarios but um you know at this point you know with what i've seen um i don't have a big fear of it just like totally making developers irrelevant i don't think it's it's you know it's not at the point where it's building non-trivial applications based on simple user input you know it's not building laravel forge off uh, some prompts um so but you know i think it's just like a really powerful tool to um enhance developer productivity um using things like github copilot or even just like i've used chat gpt just to write like a regular expression before you know describing to it the kind of regular regular expression i want the kinds of things that should pass the regular expression, the kinds of things that shouldn't pass the regular expression. And, you know, it kind of spits out something and I just kind of like verify it and go from there. And that saves me a lot of time. Honestly, I honestly use it. as just like a much better Google in many ways, uh, a very like context aware Google. Um, so we'll see, you know, I, I think there's certain kinds of programmer activities that it could commoditize, but I think some of those things were already sort of being, um product productized or whatever like you know simple landing pages or simple marketing pages um i think ai can build those kinds of things now but we already sort of had node code tools to build those sorts of things so like that's not really a huge change in the in the ecosystem um you, you already didn't have to write any code to build that kind of thing so <clears throat> i don't really see that as a huge step forward uh, it is really cool and it's sort of like a stepping stone to something more advanced but it's not necessarily something we didn't have um before yeah i 100 percent agree and i i thought about this and if you look at the landscape of software there's like such a backlog of software that still needs to be built i think there's like multiple decades of software we've already mm -hmm. hit like all the category top level things like we've got you know all the things like the sap and the salesforce and you right. know like all the you know like the aws's and like all these top level category uh platforms but there's so many niches now to go into like you know yeah. crm for a specific vertical or a integration layer for a specific type of warehouse or like there's so many different niches out there now that there's like a multi-decade backlog of software development opportunities uh, in oh, the market. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like, I mean, I go into businesses 
fairly large businesses around here and they're still using like green screen like terminals you know what i mean <laughs> like, um so yeah I'm, i wouldn't be surprised at all if there's that yeah. that big of a backlog that's cool yeah so i was actually i don't know if you've ever heard of uh hyper contacts they're a, a SaaS company out of um toronto i think uh and they mm. they build all in laravel uh okay. they just launched a new product um that's uh i was talking with the cto graham the other day they just launched a new product which is basically like job inter it's uh not interviews uh job uh like uh performance reports or like stat you know kind of like employee reviews essentially mm -hmm. uh and they they're integrating open ai i think gpt4 and definitely gpt3 apis into their laravel application to essentially like you input some data about the employee review and then the employee does the same i think about the company and then mm -hmm. it essentially like writes all the content for you. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, they're not pitching it as like an AI platform or an AI product. They're pitching it as a product that helps you write reviews faster. Yeah. And I think that's the key. Like if you go around trying to pitch like AI as your product, then you're trying to like fit, you know, that was the whole web three and like metaverse thing. Like everyone's trying to build businesses around this web three concept that I think is kind of fizzled out. Mm -hmm. Whereas like if you use AI to create features that enhance the product experience and just make the product experience really badass. That mm -hmm. that's like, that's the right way to use AI, not using it as like a hype vehicle to make your product pitch sound better or to try to sound like you're cutting edge. I wanna take a quick break from the episode and say, if you're enjoying this content, the best way you can say thank you is to subscribe. So if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. And if you're on one of the podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button there as well. And also share it out to your friends and colleagues. If you find this content useful and you think other people will enjoy it as well, please send it out. And back to the episode. You know, my background, when I um, had first started writing Laravel, I got hired by Ian at Userscape, um, Ian Landsman, to build help desk software. And we've I've chatted with him about AI. And, you know, I think help desk and customer support is actually one of the more obvious um, areas where AI could really make a huge difference. Like for us at Laravel, support is like a big overhead for us, you know, because we have technical products um, like Forge and Vapor and Envoyer. The customer support needs are sometimes complicated. It's not just like, hey, I need a refund or, hey, what does this do? It's like, hey, my, you know, my server is not responding in this particular scenario. And we have to sort of SSH into the server, figure out, if there's something wrong with the server, get back to the customer. It's a really kind of ordeal. And if AI could like analyze, you know, all of our previous help desk conversations, as well as other information about in server infrastructure, you know, in general, and offer us up like, hey, here's kind of what I think you should respond with in this scenario, like that would save us, I mean, potentially hours a day, you know, <laughs> like that would be such a huge productivity boost for us. And I think I know that helps, uh, help desk companies, including Ian's are already working on integrating, um, AI into their product and kind of like the scenario you mentioned, you know, it's not like AI is not really the product, but it's sort of being brought into this existing, um, type of software to really like deliver a massive productivity boost potentially. Absolutely. And, and yeah. that could lead, you know, like you were saying, people fearing, um, I guess their job. I mean, if you if you can save a tons of hours by introducing AI in that way, like <clears throat> not at Laravel, but maybe at bigger companies, maybe you go from needing 
30 support agents to just 20, you know, so I don't know, you know, maybe AI does affect the job market in that sense. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, we've already implemented it, uh, into three products we're building all, all Laravel products, uh, for different clients. And, uh, you know, it definitely like it's, you know, what, what exactly what we're doing is saving man hours for the company Mm -hmm. and, and improving, uh, improving the, uh, the accuracy of things that were, you know, form formerly done through manual efforts. And, uh, it's, it's interesting because like one of the things we're doing, uh, anytime we deploy AI into a new use case for a client, we'll actually run sort of like a three-part study for a certain period of time where when a decision needs to be made, we'll have two humans that, you know, formerly it would just be one human making a decision. We'll have two humans make the decision and one AI make the decision. Like we'll build some algorithm and then run it through like a prompt engineering and run it through a decision, uh, you know, like a hit the API, make a decision, get a response back, parse the parse the response. And we'll compare the two humans. First, did they agree? Did the two humans agree that this is the right, you know, did they did they come up with the same answer? And then did the AI come up with the same answer? And we're finding through these studies that not only, you know, obviously it's faster to do the AI than the humans, because the humans have to go into a queue, the AI would do it real time. But we're finding higher, generally speaking, higher accuracy on the AI side, because like, for instance, one of the, one of the clients we did this for has this huge, uh, I don't want to get too specific because I I don't know if they'd give permission to share this, but they have a huge like database of, uh, organizations around the, uh, country, uh, thousands of organizations. And their process is to match individuals with the right organization. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, before they did this manually, but what person could possibly understand all the entire landscape of all these thousands of organizations and all of their unique attributes to be able right. to then understand the individual person that's coming in and what unique attributes of that person match the unique attributes of the right organization. But we can do that at scale with a properly fine-tuned LLM that is mm-hmm. specifically fitted to the use case of that specific business need. And uh, so we we had, you know, we had that story that that you know we implemented that for that client and we're starting to kind of like reproduce uh, you know the same sort of concepts for other clients and it's like anytime we walk in the room with a client start talking about this stuff they're all just instantly interested it's you know this they're getting into the sales process really fast and they just really you know it's like people are people at companies leaders at businesses are really excited to see how they can you know not only stay innovative in their industry but potentially create disruption in their industry. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a big deal. Um, You know, that's why it's always hard, you know, like I was kind of reminded when you said web three, it's like this AI thing. um, People have sort of been like, is this the new, um, is this just 2023's web three? You know what I mean? It's just sort of like (laughs) a fad. And I, um, I don't, I don't really think so. You know, like, I actually think it is like a massive boost in productivity in certain areas. Um, and I've even enjoyed it myself. So, um, yeah, it's really cool to hear that, you know, it's being used in Laravel applications already to sort of deliver value. Yeah. I mean, I, I was scratching my head the whole time through that web three, uh, (laughs) metaverse thing. I'm like, man, like this is really getting picked up. There's like VC money slashing around on this, but I just, I didn't get it. And I was like, I can't, I can't, you know, invest in this because I just don't get it. Uh, now I've been wrong before I was, you know, I had a friend that was trying to convince me to mine Bitcoin in 2011 and 2012. And 
I was like, man, I just don't get it. So I, I, you know, I missed yeah. that boat there, but <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, um, it's, it's, it's immediately obvious why AI is useful. I mean, you could just yeah. demonstrate it to someone at your desk and, and, 10 seconds and they'll be impressed you know it's not imme- it wasn't immediately obvious why an nft is useful you know and it still isn't immediately obvious. <laughs> um, so i i do uh you know i think there's a pretty big difference uh between the two um so i personally I, I, think I, this is uh like as big of a platform rev- of revolution as mobile and as yeah. the internet it, you know as a whole yeah i could see that i was thinking similar I was trying to thinking along a similar thought train um, the other day, and I kind of like viewed it as like, um, you know, similar, 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 I guess. Yeah. To like a mobile phone or like Wikipedia, you know, or some sort of, some sort of massive resource that's immensely popular or, you know, widespread popular. And I think, you know, like if Siri is ever at the level of like something like chat GPT, that would be, you know, that would really make it super mainstream, you know, for like, you know, my parents are using AI, you know, <laughs> on an everyday basis. Um, so I'm interested to see like where, how Google and Apple bring AI to like the typical consumer, you know, that's not necessarily tech forward, like, like me or you might be. I've thought about this a lot. Like why Google has, Google owns all the data. Why are they not leading the charge on this? And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's almost like publicly, they kind of look like they're fumbling the ball a little bit on it mm-hmm. and the only conclusion i can come to like they invented tensorflow literally the underlying you know uh al- algorithm the underlying like uh technology that open ai is built on google invented and open sourced uh back in like 2010 or something like that i forget the exact year uh so what why i guess that's the question so the only conclusion i can come to about it is that they know their legal teams know that the regulations are going to come down like a hurricane at some point on AI. And they don't want to be the one that they don't want to be first because they don't want to get, you know, there are, they're already like at jeopardy of being like antitrust monopoly getting split up. So I think they're trying to not be first in the regulation uh, storm that will come Mm -hmm. and uh, open AI, like, you know, they're, they're a nonprofit, uh, or they they might've pivoted, I guess, into a for-profit corporation, but you know, it seems like they're kind of so far ahead that they're going to be the ones that get made the example of, and kind of like regulations yeah. get built around them. And then everyone else can kind of come in second and just like play by the rules at that point. Yeah. It's like, you know, they have to be working on it. Surely. Um, with Apple's case, I wonder if it's sort of a situation where, you know, Siri, has historically been very like privacy focused. So a lot of the processing happens on your device. And I wonder if that's sort of a bottleneck for them at this point in terms of really improving Siri to be something more like chat GPT that requires quite a bit of processing power. Um, But, you know, who knows, maybe they are, you know, kind of waiting to see where things land with open AI and how things shake out. I think that's the only possibility, but Apple, yeah, Apple's a different case. Uh, Siri's voice to text is terrible and uh, Google's is really good. And uh, actually whisper is another product that just spun out of open AI. uh, That's really good. And I was actually Mm -hmm. thinking about wrapping up whisper into an Elixir app to uh, basically like run, you know, just to have like a voice to text input 
uh, tool on Mac so that I could just like hit a hotkey and just talk into my mic and just have text come out as fast as I talk. Yeah, and I thought about doing it. I even ran some Google ads to test it to see if there was a market for it. But uh, I, th- I think it's just going to be too quickly stomped once Apple does get their acts together on Siri. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm surprised at how bad. And I think it's for the reason you just said. It's like they're keeping everything localized on the device for privacy. I think that's that's the only reason why Siri's uh, you know features are not nearly as good as Google's. Right. Yeah. But uh, well, changing gears here, you brought up Ian. Uh, I was actually talking to Eric Barnes about this. I think uh, a couple of months ago, um, about like sort of like the origin stories of you and Ian and Laravel, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sure you've told this story a million times. But uh, you know, if you want to do like a, a, an abbreviated version of like the origin stories of Laravel, like where the idea came to start it, you know, how it evolved over the years, and then even like today, like what what products do you have in the ecosystem? Uh, what's like sort of the nuances of those products and just, you know, kind of walk the listeners through the the history of Laravel. Yeah. So I first started building it in 2011, um, as a side project. Um, and my day job, I was actually a .NET developer, .NET and COBOL. Um, and I only started doing PHP on the side just because I knew it was easy to throw up on the web. Uh, just like any host had PHP support. Um, I started tinkering with like CodeIgniter and some of the other PHP frameworks back then. And um, I liked them, but I wanted to bring in some of the features I was used to in .NET, like um, my dependency injection container, the templating system. I wanted like a better ORM that was more akin to like Ruby on Rails. Um, So I started building all that in really late uh, 2010. Actually, I started building all that. And then I released it the summer of 2011. And in that time, like I rewrote it several times um, over those six to eight months. Um, and then like six months later, uh, so like the end of 2011, I got an email from Ian Landsman at Userscape saying, Hey, you know, we build help desk software at PHP. We're thinking about rewriting some things, or building new things. Um, and I checked out Laravel and it seems really cool. Um, you know, I'd like to know if you want to come on board and work on it. Um, which is crazy looking back because Laravel was just like six months old and, Back then, there were a lot of PHP frameworks. You know, there's a new PHP framework every few months. It felt like, um, unlike today, where things have been sort of like stable for years. Um, anyway, I accepted that offer, and Eric Barnes got hired at the same place around the same time, and he was sort of n- known in the Code Igniter community a little bit. Um, and then it just sort of went from there. You know, like I worked on Laravel at Userscape uh, pretty much full time for the first six months to get it ready for what we needed to build, and then. Uh, we built a um, a new customer support platform that was that eventually sold was sold to another company. I um, mean, we did other work, you know, at Userscape as well. And then uh, in 2014, I built a product called Laravel Forge, which is sort of like a server provisioning tool for building Laravel ready servers on AWS or DigitalOcean or Vulture or other cloud providers. And it basically builds out the servers, installs everything, and then you can push to deploy your application out onto these servers. Um, and since then, um, you know, that that business took off pretty quickly and allowed me to go full time on Laravel in 2015. And since then, we've built four or five other products, uh, Vapor, which is our serverless deployment tool, Envoyer, which does sort of zero downtime deployments, um, Spark, sort of our SaaS um, boilerplate toolkit thing. Um, that's sort of a one-time purchase, not a subscription. And then we have a 
uh, Nova, our admin panel, which is also a, a one-time purchase. Um, and all of those products have thankfully have done pretty well and allowed us to build sort of a sustainable company around this open source framework, uh, which is kind of a rare thing to be able to accomplish. Um, you know, sustainability and open source is sort of like a big topic and um, it's rare that an open source product is able to sustain itself in this way. Uh, so I'm glad we were able to figure out something, some way to make it work. So it's, and it's been really, um, honestly, just a, a crazy adventure building this thing. Um, and we're, and we're continuing, uh, to build new things. You know, we have new things coming down the pipeline that I plan to release at Laracon this summer, um, our annual conference. And, you know, uh, just when I think I'm out of ideas for Laravel, new ones seem to pop up, you know, <laughs> so, uh, we just keep on going. I mean, it's it's quite impressive. Uh, you know, the PHP ecosystem was definitely kind of on the rocks uh, around the yeah. time when when you came in with Laravel, and uh, it's totally different now. Like the landscape of PHP is very very different, and you know, obviously there's mega frameworks like WordPress that are uh, you know built on PHP, uh, but I think like the you know, like getting into like true application development frameworks. Uh, Laravel mm -hmm. is obviously the biggest uh, gorilla in the space at this point. And a lot of people say that you're kind of the person that that turned it around, that like brought Laravel, or brought, sorry, brought PHP uh, back onto the map as like a real respectable, uh, you know, language to build applications. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's flattering when people say that, you know, I think I, I agree that Laravel contributed, you know, I think other things contributed as well. Uh, things like Composer. Um, it was sort of like Laravel was sort of at the right place at the right time, in a sense, in PHP's history. Um, PHP 5.3 had, this is kind of getting in the nitty gritty details of PHP, but PHP 5.3 had just released um, not too long before Laravel came out. And with that release came some really key features that made Laravel sort of Laravel. Um, one of the big ones was anonymous functions, like the ability to say route colon colon git and then pass like function to that call uh, as like an anonymous callback handler for the route. That wasn't even possible like before PHP 5.3. You couldn't do anything like that. Um, also namespaces were in PHP 5.3 and um, a sort of technical feature called late static binding, which is really what made something like Eloquent possible um, as well. So it was like those features landed and no framework no big framework had really been written to take advantage of those features in sort of an exclusive way. And Laravel dropped like soon after that and was PHP 5.3 only. It utilized all these new features of PHP. I think it also just had sort of a different um, vibe than the other frameworks, which felt a little bit more uh, like verbose, enterprisey, a little bit more like Java or like C Sharp than Rails, you know, for example. Um, so Laravel came out with very like expressive syntax, sort of like very fluent English style syntax um, that was memorable. And yeah, I think it just kind of struck a chord. A lot of people in PHP at the time were sort of abandoning ship for either Node or Rails or Python or whatever else. Um, I remember like, Rails was so big back then, like back in like 2011, yeah. 2012, like everyone I knew that was building apps or startups was doing it on Rails. Yeah. And that's why it's kind of like, it's funny to me, you know, people still say like PHP is sort of um, a dying thing, but like people were saying that when I released Laravel in 2011, like it's honestly the exact same, like people were already saying that and sort of jumping ship. But they had good arguments time, back then though. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Python and, think, and the JavaScript people had good arguments, but now I don't think they have, their arguments don't hold water anymore. 
No. I mean, the, for full stack application development, those environments are sort of worse, you know, like than PHP. The tooling is not as fleshed out. The frameworks are not as fleshed out. The supporting libraries, um, the whole cohesive ecosystem doesn't really exist like it does in Laravel or like it does in Rails. And, you know, there are so many people that have come up to me at conferences, you know, over the years and been like, I was about to give up on PHP or maybe even just programming in general, but Laravel sort of kept me in it and sort of reinvigorated my career or even given me a career. You know, um, I, I have people come up to me and say, you know, I used to uh, be in sales or I used to do this. And now I learned Laravel from Laracast and I have a full-time job as a programmer. So it's been a really crazy ride, honestly, and a pretty uh, rewarding experience building the whole thing. I mean, the other thing too, that, uh, you know, that like, uh, really impresses me about the Laravel ecosystem. There's no other ecosystem that's like got as loyal fans, you know, <laughs> as the Laravel ecosystem. Like when you launch a new version, it's like Steve Jobs is coming out to like launch the new iPhone. And yeah. uh, like, you know, the like the Twitterverse and just like the amount of like, you know, it's like, you know, Christmas, like everyone's just getting presents when the when new, <laughs> new Laravel versions come out. And I'm, I don't like, I don't, I can't think of a single other ecosystem that's like that yeah it's been pretty cool and i don't know if it's just like you know over laravel's history there's sort of been this running game of like uh what secret thing you know is is laravel working on and i think that was sort of infectious in a way to where other people started doing similar things you know cooking up little side projects or teasing new things they were working on and it sort of like spread throughout the whole community to kind of create this sort of hype fun community that's always kind of experimenting and trying cool new things in, in in ways you don't see really in other uh php ecosystems yeah yeah i mean you play the twitter game well i think a lot of uh, <laughs> yeah a lot of like open source guys are just heads down on code and just yeah. like you know releasing features to github and like you're like you're you're you know a personality in in the community so that's i think that's a big part of it too yeah yeah i think so cool uh, so what's like, what's the business, like, what, what does your business look like? How, how many people, uh, I think you, you've mentioned like your four core products. Um, uh, mm -hmm. what is, uh, what is like a day in the life look like for, for what you do? Um, we've got eight people now. Um, so we've got kind of a couple people that mainly focus on forge. We've got a couple people that mainly focus on vapor. Um, we've got someone that mainly focuses on Nova. Um, we kind of float around on Spark and Envoyer. Um, they don't require as much attention as some of the other larger products. Um, but we all work remotely. We're all spread out around the world. So we're mainly uh, interacting in Slack and GitHub. And uh, we use Basecamp a little bit to sort of manage what people are working on and daily check-ins. But honestly, it's a pretty laid back work environment. Sometimes I worried I'm a little too laid back as a boss. Um, but, you know, we're all just we're all just working on uh various things and then i uh you know i take feedback from the employees like you know what do you think we should work on next and they pitch ideas uh, we have a little pitch board in a base camp where you can write up you know ideas you might have or uh, sort of needs you may have observed in the ecosystem or gaps we could fill and uh, a lot of stuff has been built that way like for example jessica archer um she's one of our team members in australia 
the idea that she's sort of finishing up right now that will demo at Laracon, that was sort of like entirely her idea. You know, it wasn't my idea at all. I just sort of said, yep, that sounds like a good idea. Why don't you work on that? And that happens a lot, honestly. Um, and, and then sometimes I'll have an idea and, and pull someone into it like right now or for the last really probably like the last month or so, Nuno and I have been working on something that was kind of my brainchild um, earlier this year. Um, you know, so we just kind of we kind of work on what what's exciting to us at the time and what we think makes sense for the community or maybe what we need ourselves kind of scratching our own itch, which is what we've done a lot over the years. Just building that's our so products. good, man. Scra scratching um, our itch, I think, yeah. is the best way to build a business. Yeah. So pretty much everything we've built has been for that reason. What's um, uh, what what's like? How 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 do you carve up your day? Like, what what is your time? You know, what, what's like a day in the life of Taylor look like typically? Um, so I work pretty typical hours. Like, I usually get into the office about eight or eight thirty, and I spend about the first like hour just um catching up on customer support requests, which I usually handle like any like sensitive cases, refunds, complicated situations. Um, I handle those. And then I'll spend probably like an hour on GitHub just catching up with pull requests because it, really to this day, I'm the only one that merges any pull requests or, or across the whole Laravel ecosystem. Um, so any pull request that comes into the framework to Passport, to Socialite, to Cashier, any of our open source stuff, I'm really the one that has to click the merge button on that. Um, and we still get quite a few every day. So I would, I would imagine we get like 10 to 15 pull requests a day. Um, so it's something you definitely have to stay on top of pretty much on a daily basis or after one week, you've got, you know, almost a hundred open pull requests um, across the ecosystem. So I'll spend like an hour a day, maybe even two hours a day working on that if it's pretty busy. Um, and then I'm sort of free, you know, to either review whatever the team has been working on, if they have something they need me to kind of sign off on, or just working on whatever little interesting project I'm tinkering on at the time. So like, like I said, for the past few months, I've been teaming up with Nuno working on uh, some secret stuff for Laracon. I've also been working on just like refining and slimming down the Laravel skeleton application a little bit. So just whatever I'm kind of interested in at the time, I'll sort of hack on that the rest of the day. Cool. I'm excited. I'll be there at uh, Laracon <laughs> in Nashville this year. I'm excited nice. to see what it is. Uh, first yeah, first conference IRL for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. First Laracon US in four years. So it's, yeah, wow. It feels doesn't feel that long, um, but you know, um, you know, it's crazy. I'm excited to be back with everyone. I think it's going to be an awesome conference this year. Good venue, good city. So it should be fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I've heard you say on other podcasts before that, like, you don't want to lose touch with the code and that's really like where your passion is and what you love doing. And, you know, you don't really see, you don't really see it like trying to grow this like big, you know, like eight or nine or whatever, 10 figure tech enterprise at, you know, the executive level, but you really like staying close to the code and close to the framework. Is that, uh, still kind of where you're at today? Um, yeah, I think so. Um. If I wanted to grow to that level, I think I would probably, you know, need to bring on like a CEO or something. And I would kind of function in more of a CTO role um, just to stay close to the code and kind of what we're doing there. Um, but yeah, I still, I still code every day, you know, for sure. Every day I'm in some sort of, I've got an editor open and I'm working on some sort of code, whether that's someone else's code, massaging like a PR, someone to sit on GitHub or something I'm writing myself. I still code. Uh, every day, pretty much. 
it's like uh i would say like probably the closest thing like if you went that route would be like an automatic uh matt mullenweg of wordpress you know he's i think he's kind of like you where he's like an engineer and he's still like a creator and he's not he doesn't see himself as like the business guy but more at least what i know of him like he sees himself more as like that creator uh inventor kind of uh personality and then uh he just put together a big team of executives to build this like big you know i think they're probably if they're not a billion dollars in revenue they're probably on their way to it mm-hmm. uh you know just kind of like this big enterprise business around the wordpress ecosystem i, I suppose you, you know you could do the same thing with laravel over time but it's like mm-hmm. is that is that the direction you, you'd want to go with it um i can't say i'm like necessarily opposed to it it's just like um we've sort of carved out a pretty good groove here at laravel with the people we have and sort of it's created this nice sort of like relaxing life for me where things are going well, life is good. You know, we're not super stressed. We build what we're interested in. And so there's not a lot of like pressure to do that. You know what I mean? Because don't fix what's not broken, man. <laughs> yeah. Like life, life is already kind of good. It's not that I'm really like um, opposed to it, bu- building out that kind of company. Um, it's not really my um, specialty. So I would definitely need help doing that, you know, from like we said, but um it's just like, yeah, things things are kind of good and we enjoy what we're working on. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I can't rule never say never, you know, I can't rule it out for the future, but we'll see. I got one more quick uh segment topic to close on. Uh so I was hanging out with a friend of mine, uh Chris Sarah. He has a, a company similar to mine, but more like in the Python space, uh spe- specializing in a lot of healthcare stuff uh here in Philly. It's called ArcWeb. And uh he um he was telling me his Richard Stallman story where he met Richard Stallman at a conference. And it got me thinking, we, him and I were, were having drinks the other day at a club. We were like kind of talking about the history of software and how like if it wasn't for some of these early people like Stallman, you know, would we have an open source, you know, uh, community? Like would we have like a concept of open source, like would the Laravels and nodes and, you know, reacts and tensor flows of the world exist the way they do? Yeah. Uh, if, you know, if Stallman, uh, you know, didn't, didn't do what he did. So I'll tell the quick Stallman story. Then we can kind of talk about that conceptually. So okay. my friend, Chris meets Stallman at a conference, goes up to him and says, Hey, Richard, my name's Chris. I'm a programmer from Philadelphia. I love your work. Can I shake your hand? And he goes, <laughs> sure, shake it. And he just holds his hand up like this. And then my friend, Chris just goes, okay. And then just does one of these. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, he seems like kind of an eccentric guy for sure. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy though. Like, imagine if uh, imagine if that that crew like back back at you know yeah. the seventies and eighties didn't do what they did with uh, you know, the free software movement. How how would it be different today? Oh gosh, I mean, who knows? Uh, it, it's you know, I think it's crazy how impactful that was. You know, and I wonder if they really. You know, I don't know if Stallman considers, you know, himself like successful in that way or not, but it's crazy how much the world was impacted by that. And people rarely kind of think about it, you know, like it could have been very different, but open source sort of like powers the world in many sense and in many ways these days. Um, so yeah, it's pretty wild. And, um, you know, I just wonder how like cognizant they are of, how success or how successful that they see themselves, you know, because some of those guys like Stallman is so hardcore about free software. 
um the way i don't know if you've read about like how he runs his laptop or like yeah, yeah. how he how he uses the internet and stuff so and he's like a faraday crazy. cage or something for his phone <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much but uh you know basically the foundation they laid it, it really changed the entire world so i hope they um do see it as successful um i'm curious too because he's really hard on himself with that like, yeah yeah not, like all I, or nothing yeah that's what i mean um and certainly i you know look up to all those people as sort of paving the way for what was possible for for us and uh you know and thankful for what they contributed because what's the alternative back then i mean you had gates and you had you know uh jobs and wozniak mm-hmm. and like these guys in their own rights like did some really amazing stuff and you know kind of paved the way for a lot of things themselves but none of them had any component back then that was making what they were creating open it was all yeah. just like you know is like very much a capitalist uh, mindset for what they were doing, which, you know, yeah. it has, it has its, it's all pros and cons. I think there's a time and a place for both. And like, we, ha- we have a good blend of the two nowadays, which is cool. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like, I like how a lot of the underlying technologies that have been built on over layers over, you know, decades are mostly mm-hmm. open, like the lower levels are mostly open source. And then it's like, just the top layer that we sell is what right. the businesses are built on. Right. Yeah. It's like all the, you know, all the operating systems and programming languages and tooling is mainly free, you know, that many of these crazy businesses like GitHub, Uber, um, you know, Shopify, Spotify, all these, all these things people use every day, all the foundations are open source, I'm sure pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Google, everything, it's all like, everything's running on Linux and, you know, GNU pack, you know, GNU tool packages and like the networking stuff that's like built into the data centers. That's all open source. And the, you know, the infrastructure that the ISPs use and, you know, all this stuff that's just like built up and up and up over time. It's just so amazing. Uh, So amazing to think like how, how important that was. And like, we don't really talk about it anymore. We talk about like the more recent stuff, but like how, how important and critical those, those moments were. Uh, Uh, Anything you want to, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say there'd be, you know, way less options, way less innovation, you know, if that, if that foundation wasn't laid. Absolutely. Uh, anything you want to close on anything you want to plug, uh, for the Laravel ecosystem or something you're working on or before we close oh, out? Gosh, here? I would plug Laracon, but we've sold out. Um, if you're still interested <laughs> in Laracon, um, we do have a wait list up. So get on that. Um, if you've never used Laravel before, you know, check it out, laravel.com. We also have bootcamp.laravel.com, which is sort of our introduction to Laravel that walks you through building, um, sort of like a little Twitter clone, um, using Laravel. So check it out. Cool. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's fun. 